And let me say again to our graduates, congratulations on your accomplishments as graduating from high school and those graduating from college. Uh, we certainly are proud of all of you. Um, on, the video, on the video you saw earlier, you got to see the high school graduation pics of our students, uh, the senior class pictures and those kind of things, and then looking this week at our program that we put together for all of our graduates, uh, looking at their senior class photos. Well, it reminded me that I've got a senior class photo. When I was a senior and, and at Science Hill High School, 1978, and I thought it might be fun just to show you what your pastor looked like when he was one of you. So let's just look at this picture now. Isn't that good? <laughs> what? I haven't changed much, have I? <laughs> just not going to work? All right, well, okay, then we won't do it. There it is. <laughs> Let's all stand and sing precious memories. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This was back when I used to own a hairdryer. And I had that round brush, and it took me about an hour to get my hair fixed, you know, to all those curls and everything. So I just want to say to you guys, let me, all the senior guys, I, I need your attention. You may have a head full of hair now. <laughs> your day's coming. <laughs> so brush it while you can and enjoy every minute of it. All right, we can take that down now. That's great. Oh, wait, before you take it, well, okay. I just wanted to explain the frilly shirt. All, all the seniors had to wear the same shirt, the same bow tie. Well, not the same, but we all had to wear the bow tie and the frilly shirt and the tux jacket and all that. So just didn't want you to ask me later, Pastor, why did you wear that shirt? Yeah, yeah, it was the 70s. Remember, it was the 70s. You know, graduating from high school or graduating from college is indeed a very momentous occasion. It's a milestone uh, in your life, no doubt about that. And as people celebrate that milestone, you probably have already gotten a card from someone or a letter from someone or a picture from someone uh, that had a verse on it, Jeremiah 29, 11. In fact, it's such a great verse for a time like this. We've placed it on our program for all of our graduates and their families. And Jeremiah 29, 11 simply says this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We, we like to use that promise a lot. We like to refer to that verse and use that verse at times like this. It just seems appropriate. But what I want you to understand today, though it's one of the most beloved verses perhaps in the Bible, and we commit it to memory, and it is indeed a wonderful promise, but if we confine that verse to graduation time, if we confine that verse to those times when we're starting out a new phase in our life, then we are basically using what I would call a Dixie Cup interpretation of that verse. And here's what I mean by that. I'm not saying that it's not true. 
God does have a wonderful plan for your life. And, and the future is uncertain, but God has a plan for you. And that is certainly true. But there is so much more in that verse than a graduation verse. Bill Bright is the founder of the, or was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. He was famous for saying, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now that's true, but here's my question for us all today. What do you do when his plan doesn't turn out the way you, you expected it to? What do you do when God's plan is painful? What do you do when God's wonderful plan doesn't feel so wonderful? There's a story in the Bible that answers those questions, and it's found in the Old Testament. If you want to open God's Word with me, to Jeremiah chapter 28 and chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 28 and chapter 29. <clears throat> While you're turning to that, I will set the stage for you. The year was 597 B.C., and the Jewish people, God's people, had rebelled against God. They turned a deaf ear to the prophet of God, to Jeremiah. They turned a deaf ear to him. And now they were paying the price for their sin. Now they were living in rebellion or living in, in captivity in Babylon. They, thousands of them had been forcibly removed from their homes in Jerusalem. Thousands of them had been forcibly taken to a distant country called Babylon. And these exiles lost nearly everything uh, except their lives. They lost their freedom. They lost their homes. They lost their means of making a living. They, they lost their precious temple. And they were moved, carried, hundreds and hundreds of miles away as slaves to Babylon. And the only ray of hope was a man named Hananiah. Hananiah prophesied to these people that though they are in captivity, though they are living in Babylon away from everything that they called home, Hananiah prophesied to these people that within two years, God would bring all the people back to their homeland and restore what they had lost. So let's read what Hananiah said, chapter 28, verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. This is Hananiah speaking, and Hananiah is saying, this is what God says. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Now, I want you to notice this phrase, Within two years. He was saying to the people who were living in captivity, just hang in there because within two years, might be less than two years, but within two years, God's going to bring you back. Now, that was a word that was very encouraging to these people because, you know, two years, we don't want to be here, but we, we can hang in there for two years. I mean, it's kind of like right now, I'm serving, most of you know, I'm serving as the president of the South Carolina Baptist Convention. And quite honestly, it is the most, it's the busiest time of my entire life. It's the most stressful time of my entire life in ministry. And though I am enjoying it immensely, it, there's just a lot of pressure right now in this position as pastor and as president. I remember when this started though, when this journey started, uh, I said to my wife, it's only just for a year. I can endure anything for a year. Now, I'm six months into it. I'm almost, I've only got six months to go, so time passes quickly. So that's why I said to her, you know, I can, I can endure anything for a year. 
I think that's probably what the people of God were saying when they heard from Ananias, within two years, God will take you back home. So they were probably saying much like I did, I can endure anything for two years. We, we can hang in there for two years. That's going to be good. And then somebody else came along. His name was Jeremiah. And look what he said. Verse 15, chapter 28, verse 15. Then... The prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah, the prophet, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, yet you have persuaded this nation to trust in what? Trust in lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, I'm about to remove you from the face of the earth. This very year you are going to die because you have preached rebellion against the Lord. And in the seventh month of that same year, Hananiah, the prophet, died. You can imagine how discouraging that must have been to the people who were living in captivity to realize that the one person who had good news for them was a fraud and a liar. And in the midst of those dark days, God wrote them a letter. Literally. God wrote them a letter through the prophet Jeremiah. In fact, if you look at chapter 29 in your Bible, if it's like my Bible, at the, the heading of the chapter says, A Letter to the Exiles. This was literally a letter from God to the exiles through the pen of Jeremiah. And here's what God said in this letter, chapter 29, verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now skip down to verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And here's, here's what God says to them. Now, before we read it, before we read verse 5, Hananiah said they're going to be there how long? Two years. Now, this is what God said, verse 5. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you de deceive you. Parentheses like Hananiah. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. Parentheses, you're going to get to go home in two years. Don't listen to those kind of dreams, he was saying. Verse 9, they are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Now, I want you to notice something very, very important. In verse 4 and in verse 7, God says, I want to clarify something for you. I sent you into exile. The Babylonians didn't take you there. I sent you there. Look at verse 4. We'll put it on the screen, I believe. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Look at verse 7. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. God was emphasizing to the people, you were there because I've sent you there. I brought you there. There's a reason that you're there for 70 years. And then he says in verse 10, look back at the text, verse 10. 
This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. When 70 years are completed. Now, now there's two ways to read this verse. And how you read it depends on where you are. Depends on where you're living. If you're living anywhere but Babylon, when you read this verse, you think, God is a good and gracious God. Because though they have to spend 70 years in captivity, He's going to bring them back to their homeland. Isn't God good? Isn't God gracious? He's going to bring His people back eventually to their homeland. They don't deserve that, but it's amazing God's goodness and God's grace. He's going to bring them back to their homeland. If you're living anywhere but Babylon, that's probably what you would say. But if you're in exile living in Babylon, you would read this text and you would say, 70 years? you got to be kidding. 70? We're going to be here 70 years? And you wouldn't say God is gracious. You'd say God isn't fair. 70 years? I remember when my daughter Lauren was a freshman at the College of Charleston and and for whatever reason, it just didn't click with her. And some of our graduates, you're going to go off to college, and, and, and I hope you have a great experience. But for some of you, you're going to have high expectations, and then when you get there, it just wasn't what you thought it would be. And my daughter went through that at the College of Charleston. She was so excited about going to the College of Charleston. But I remember the night that she called home crying and saying, Can I come home? And she told us what was wrong with the, She loved Charleston, but she told us what was wrong with the College of Charleston. And there's the friends with the drama and the professors and the classes. And, and, and then with crying on the phone, she said, Daddy, I just want to come home. Now imagine how she would have felt if I had said to her, Honey, settle down. You're going to be there for 70 years. <laughs> just go to class. Build a house, an apartment. <laughs> Marry and get married. You're going to be there for 70 years. That's what they had to deal with. That's why verse 11 is so important. And we're finally getting to our text. In verse 11, I want you to imagine these people who read this letter for the first time. And they hear this in verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That verse was so important. That promise was so important because God had not forgotten His people even though it may have looked like He had. God had not forsaken His people even though to them it may have felt like He had. There in the midst of Babylon, exiled from their homeland, God had a message for these people. And the message is a very simple one. There is hope. Look what he says in the verse. For I know the plans I have for you. I know. They didn't know. They didn't know. But God says, but I know. I know the plans. And I know that you're going to be there for a while. And I know you don't want to be there. And I know you don't want to go through this. I know, God says, my plans for you. Even though you're in captivity. Pastor Ray Pritchard once said, God knows what he's thinking even when we don't. Have you ever said, Lord, what are you doing? Lord, why is this happening? Lord, why is this taking so long? I mean, sometimes life just doesn't make sense. And it, 
oftentimes doesn't go to our schedule along with our schedule. And here's an important point I want you to remember. God has a bigger plan than the one I could see. You see, all these people could see was Babylon. All these people could see was captivity. All these people could see was 70 years away from their home. And God said to them, I know that you don't know. And I'm sure that you can't see what I see, but, but I know I have plans for you. And here's how God describes His plan. Verse 11, the second part. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Various translations you translate these verses differently. The ESV says, plans for your welfare and not for evil. The message says, plans to take care of you and not to abandon you. Or another translation, New Living says, plans for good and not for disaster. Now, the problem with this verse and that promise is that it doesn't make a lot of sense if you're living in Babylon for 70 years. It doesn't make sense if you're living in captivity. It doesn't make sense if you've got to be there for 70 years for God to say, I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope and a future. That doesn't make sense in Babylon. I mean, how do you believe that God's got a bigger plan when life has fallen crushed you? How do you believe that God, God's got a bigger plan when, when life just seems like you've made a, a wrong turn down a dead-end street and nothing's going to go right anymore? And you probably know what that feels like, don't you? Some of you. How do you believe that God's got a bigger plan when suddenly what you loved was snatched from you? How do you believe that God's got a bigger plan if your job is gone or your health disappears or your loved one suddenly dies? How do you believe, how do you trust that God has a bigger plan than the one you can see. Previn Wax recently wrote a blog that I read yesterday or the day before, and the title of the blog is simply this, Too Shocked to Pray. The title caught my attention, and so I started reading it. Let me read a, a paragraph to you. He said, oh, well, before I, I read it to you, let me set the stage. His mother-in-law lives in Romania, and she had perfectly good health for many, many years. In fact, she was 69 years old, and suddenly, within two-week period of time, she lost 20 pounds. 20 pounds in two weeks. And they, as they did the test, they discovered she had aggressive tumors throughout her body. His wife was wanting to get home to Romania, uh, and it was just the, the trying to organize with the kids and the cost and everything, plus very, very concerned about his mother-in-law. It, it just was, became overwhelming for him. And this is what he wrote. Again, the title, the title of the blog is Too Shocked to Pray. And he said, For two days I was unable to pray. How strange it felt as someone who is used to praying at specific times, off and on throughout the day, to be unable to spiritually breathe. It was as if, he said, the wind had been knocked out of me. No words could come. My inability to pray did not stem from anger towards God or faithlessness in His purposes, but from the shock that paralyzed my heart. And listen to this last sentence. I felt him, but I couldn't talk to him. I thought that was a powerful statement. I felt him, but I couldn't talk to him. See, we all go through dark days like that eventually. There'll be times when you feel him, but you can't talk to him. You don't know what to say. You don't have a prayer in your heart. Your heart is hard. Your heart is cold. 
Or there'll be times when you open your Bible, but it was a waste of time. It's just like, I'm trying to do this, but I can't focus on what God wants to say. I'm trying to do this, but my thoughts are elsewhere. Often it feel like you just don't want to pray. You just don't want to read your Bible. You don't want to come to church. But in those moments when we can't do anything else, here's one thing we can do. We can trust. We can trust. This week when fear and worry start to seep into your life, you need to say this to yourself. Preach it to yourself. God knows what I don't know. God knows what I don't know. When sadness and grief become your constant companion, remind yourself, God has a bigger plan than the one I can see right now. And God knows what I don't know. I want you to, before we get too far into this, I want you to think about where these people are living. They're living in Babylon. They're living in captivity. And they are there because they deserve to be there. But now I want you to read verse 12. Because in verse 12, God's gracious mercy is displayed. Verse 12, God says, Then, after the 70 years, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I love this. And I will listen to you. You see, even if you're living in Babylon with the consequences of your rebellion, even there, God's not done with you. He still has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And He says, and when you pray to me, I'll listen to you. Now, if you put verse 11 and 12 together, He says, let's read it one more time. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans, you see that word again, to give you hope in the future. And, and then he says, and then if you'll call on me, I'll listen to you. And so our tendency is this. Our tendency is to say, okay, God, I know I'm living in Babylon. I know I've gone through this horrible thing, and I know I may be here for a while, but what's the plan? Can you at least tell me that? What's the plan? I mean, surely all of this pain has a purpose, so what's the plan? My future seems so bleak, so can you at least tell me what's the plan? You say you know what it is, so God, can you tell me the plan? What are you doing in all of this? And that might be why you're so frustrated. And that might be why you, you are so confused. Because listen to me, God never tells us to seek His plan. God tells us to seek Him. Right here in the verse, verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I don't know about you, but too often I, I can get caught up in seeking God's plan without seeking God. And if you're living in a hopeless situation, if you're living in Babylon right now, Maybe God is using that experience to prod you to seek Him again. Maybe God is using that experience to prod you to turn back to Him again. You see, here's the hard part. Sometimes Babylon is better for us than Jerusalem is. I'll say it again. Sometimes Babylon is better for us than Jerusalem is. And I know that sounds strange, but... 
Look at verse 13. We're going to put it on the screen. Look at verse 13, what he says. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You know why God placed the people of Israel in captivity in Babylon? If you say, well, they're in Babylon as punishment for their sins, you're only partly right. God had a bigger plan in mind than just their punishment. Look at verse 14. Look what he says. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and I'll bring you back to the place from which I have carried you. And you know when all of that's going to start? He says, it's going to start right here. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You see, God put His people in Babylon so that they would seek Him in a way they had not done in Jerusalem. Sometimes God puts us in difficult circumstances so that we will seek Him more than we have in the past. So that we will seek Him in Babylon with all of our hearts because we were not doing that in the comforts of Jerusalem. So here's the second point I want you to remember before we leave. Number two, you won't find God's bigger plan by seeking it. You find it by seeking Him. Students, I want you to remember that. You won't find God's bigger plan by seeking it. You find it by seeking Him. See, Jerusalem is a wonderful place to live, but sometimes Babylon is the place where you end up finding the God you neglected. Sometimes it's in Babylon where you end up seeking God in a way you haven't sought Him in a long, long time. There is hope for a better future. God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And here's what you need to learn if you're living in Babylon. God has not turned His back on you. Even if you've turned your back on Him. God has a bigger plan than you can see. He has a bigger plan for your life than than what you're currently going through. You might be living in that 70-year period and say, God, this is hard. God, this is awful. God, I don't like this. But God has a bigger plan for your life than what you're going through right now. And God says, I know. You don't know. But I know the plans I have for you. So seek me with all your heart. Yeah, but God, what about, what about, what about? Just seek me with all of your heart. But God, when will you just seek me with all of your heart? Sometimes we learn more in Babylon than we ever learned in Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you hope and a future. If your future feels bleak right now, 
He says to you, seek me. Period. Let's pray about that. just want to encourage you to try to live out that verse, that passage this week. Just trying to seek Him with all of your heart this week. And maybe it starts right here today. Maybe it starts right here at the altar to say, God, I'm going to seek you with all of my heart. I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to seek you. More than anything else, I'm going to seek you with all of my heart. And so today right here at the altar, maybe that's what you do is just turn to Him and say, I'm going to seek you, Lord. First and foremost, I'm going to seek you with all of my heart. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you, God, that even when we turn our back on you, you don't turn your back on us. Thank you for a love that looks beyond the 70 years, beyond the now, beyond the circumstances of today. Thank you for a love that looks into our future and says, I know the plans I still have for you. Your mercy and your grace is truly amazing. And we thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.